It's a privilege to be here with you from the sound of the conversation before services. It sounded like many of you had a very positive feast. Uh, my wife and I were in Wisconsin Dells with about 400 brethren up there for the first part of the feast. And then in Branson, Missouri, with about 800 brethren down there for the last part of the feast. And we had plenty of liquid sunshine in both places. Uh, I think we had one nice day up in the Dells. I, I heard it got better after we left. I think it had one or two nice days down in, the, uh, in Branson, Missouri. We went to a show one night after, in the evening down in Branson. And just before the show started, you could hear on the roof the water rain just coming down. I think we wound up with about five inches of rain that night. But the announcer had an interesting sense of humor. He said, well, before we begin, I'd just like to announce that the restrooms are in the back of the building. If there's an emergency in the theater, you can look at the, the red lights on each side. And he said, if there's flooding in the theater, he said, your seat cushion will double as a flotation <laughs> device. <laughs> And then the water came down even more. So it was, it was interesting sitting there wondering if you'd walk out and if your car had washed out of the, because it was on the side of a hill down there. Uh, <clears throat> but it was kind of exciting. Um, you know, going from Wisconsin Dells down to Branson, Missouri, you're going from the north to the south, or at least the edge of the south. And it's interesting, the cultural difference. You know, we lived in, uh, near Boston, Massachusetts for about nine years, and then moved to Georgia, you know, so the heart of the south. And it's interesting, you know, the, the different cultural things that you pick up. You know, up north, when they tell you uh, kind of a, an imaginary story, they'll begin the story by saying, once upon a time. And when you go down south and they tell you an imaginary story, they start, I know, y'all ain't going to believe this. <laughs> but now let me tell you. <laughs> but, you know, cultural differences uh, add color. And it's, it makes traveling around and meeting different people uh, exciting and interesting. <clears throat> you know, I hope that all of you had a very profitable and enjoyable feast, and I hope that the feast helped you grasp a bigger and better picture of the plan of God and your part in it. You know, when you listen to services for eight days talking about the coming kingdom of God, it should allow us to come back home with a bigger perspective of what God's plan is all about and the opportunity that God has given us to play a role in that plan. We're just thinking this morning, actually last night, that <clears throat> you know, in years past I've heard sermonettes and sermons after the feast. You know, some people have said this is one of the hardest sermons to give is after the feast, after everybody's been on a high. Uh, and that sometimes when we come back from the feast, back to routine, back to challenges and problems that sometimes people feel a letdown. Well, it's back to the, the grind, so to speak. But, you know, that's a descriptive uh, example. It explains sometimes what happens, but it doesn't explain why it happens. It doesn't explain why some people feel a letdown. And yet there are some theories of behavior that offers some interesting insights as to why sometimes we have a letdown. I'm not going to talk a whole lot about theories, but I thought this was just interesting to think about. Some people have what they call an, in, uh, an external locus of control. 
In other words, they're influenced by their environment. And if everybody around you is busy and excited, you're busy and excited. If nobody's doing anything, then you feel a letdown. It's described as an external locus of control. And some people have said, you know, I really like going to the feast because it's easier to keep the Sabbath at the feast. Because everybody is keeping it. Or everybody is keeping the holy day. So it's easier to do. See, this is the, the influence of the environment, the external influence, the kind of controls or guides our, our thinking sometimes. But there's also an internal locus of control. An internal locus of control. Again, this is a theory of behavior. A person with an internal locus of control has kind of an internal guidance system, an internal set of values that's not really influenced by the environment. That everybody can be down, but you're positive because you've got a perspective. You've got a perspective that's based on something solid that doesn't change. It's not influenced by what other people think. It's not influenced by the environment that you're in. A person with an internal locus of control is not influenced by the environment. They can influence the environment. I thought that had an interesting application to coming back from the feast, that if we come back and we're down, maybe we're allowing the environment to influence us. Whereas if we come back with a goal, with a purpose, with an understanding of why we're here, and a clearer picture of where we want to go, the environment really doesn't matter that much. If you've got an internal locus of control that's based on something solid and not on the shifting sands, we could say, of you know, people's opinions and the environment in which we happen to be in. You know, when we came back from the feast, we came back to a world that has continued to exist while we were at the feast. And this world is a very dynamic place today. A lot of things are happening. Change is in the wind. Some people find the changes today very sobering and even scary with the economic conditions and a lot of other things that are happening. And yet I think others find it interesting, challenging, and kind of exciting to actually see things happening that the Bible has prophesied and we've been talking about for literally decades and decades. You know, Europe is coming together slowly and so on, but they're about to elect a president of Europe and a foreign minister for Europe that will probably play into Bible prophecy. And this is coming. It's just a matter of time. It's just a matter of time. America is bogged down in two wars in different parts of the world. Our economy is very shaky. Same thing is happening in Britain. And God has prophesied these things thousands of years ago that his people would wind up in a difficult situation at the end of the age. And we appear to be moving in that direction. China, Russia, and Europe are discussing shifting the world's reserve currency away from the dollar. And when that happens, that's going to have a dramatic impact on our country. And we're living fairly well today. But that could change very quickly and, and very soon, depending on a number of things. 
And the American government and leaders in government are pushing for the acceptance of homosexuality as something normal. And that we should just sit back and accept these things. And yet for thousands of years, this has been looked at as, as terrible, a perversion. And we don't seem to see in this country the connection between what we're doing and the decline of our nation. And the same thing in England. They, they, they don't make the connection of what is happening sociologically in our countries and what is happening economically. We're not making the connection. We're blind. As the Bible says, God's people would be his chosen people at the end of the age. The Middle East is in ferment. The Middle East is in ferment, could explode at almost any minute. We're seeing militant Islam rattling sabers again and basically saying we will take over the world. We are going to do this. When you look at the demographic profiles of what's happening in Europe and how many children that Islamic peoples are having compared to the number of children that uh, Europeans are having. It's going to be just a matter of years until they will outbreed native Europeans. And in democracies, these people can vote. And they will be in the majority. You know, we're heading into a period of time that's going to be very challenging. You know, Satan has a plan that he's working out on this earth. You know, we heard in the sermonette about God's plan. But Satan also has a plan. And you can read about that in Revelation 13. It talks about there's going to be a beast coming along over a beast power in Europe. He's going to be influenced by a false religious figure, and they're both going to be influenced by Satan, the devil. These are individuals that are going to lead the world, or at least parts of the world. And if we see a king of the south moving against a king of the north, he also is going to be influenced by Satan. Satan has a plan. He wants to destroy God's chosen people. And we can read in the scriptures that the end result of his plan is going to be destruction, massive amounts of destruction. This is being worked out right now. We're seeing it happen in the news. The positive note, though, is that God also has a plan, that God is working out. And Mr. Armstrong used to say that this world is what its leaders have made it. This world is what the leaders have made it. If you notice the scripture quickly in Daniel chapter 4, verse 17, where Nebuchadnezzar was receiving a message. And a statement is made here, an interesting statement that probably has a couple of different meanings. Verse 17 of Daniel 4, it says, This decision is by the decree of the watchers. Talk about what was going to happen to Nebuchadnezzar. And the sentence of the word of the holy ones, in order that the living may know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men. He gives it to whomever he will and sets over it the lowest of men or the basest of men. God is allowing human beings to do whatever they want right now for the most part. They can choose their own rulers and people who think they want to be rulers can do whatever they want. God is allowing that right now. 
But the time is coming when God is going to change. You know, there's another possible meaning of this, that he sets over it the humblest of men. In other words, when Christ returns, he's going to put humble people in charge. We'll learn more about that as we go along. But in this age, God is allowing people to select their own rulers. He's allowing people to do their own thing. And in many cases, they are the basest, the most corrupt. You look at Stalin. You look at some of these people who've gotten into positions of power, Hitler and others. Demon-inspired, selfish, corrupt. You look at the leaders of the world in many cases. People that are out for themselves. Out for themselves. And God is allowing that right now. And we are going to experience the end result of this. So God is allowing certain things right now, but he also has a plan and purpose that he is working out. You know, we heard at the feast numerous times about the scripture in Revelation 5.10 and other places where God is preparing a group of people to become kings and priests, to reign on this earth. God is preparing a group of people now while Satan is doing his thing. That group of people is called first fruits. It's what the Feast of Pentecost pictures. A small harvest, the first fruits of God's plan and purpose. And he's preparing those people now. And again, if you can put this in perspective, we have come back from the feast where we talked about the coming kingdom of God and the opportunity to reign with Jesus Christ on this earth. The question I want to ask this afternoon is, what kind of qualities is God interested in? What kind of qualities is he preparing in individuals that he is going to place in positions of responsibility? What qualities of leadership is God concerned about that we're going to have to have? if we want to be in the coming kingdom of God and reign with Jesus Christ on this earth. We can't look to the leaders of this world. We've got to look to examples of leadership in the Bible, examples of individuals that God has been working with down through time, developing certain qualities. And these are things you can do and I can do now. We don't have to wait for the kingdom of God to come If we wait that long, we're not going to be ready. But we've got time between now and next year before we go to the feast again to focus on developing these qualities. These are qualities you can work with and cultivate in yourself, in your children, so that you and your children will be ready when Jesus Christ returns. Let's look at some of these qualities. I've got five. We'll cover five if we have time. If we don't have time, then we won't cover five. (laughs) But let's look at things that God is interested in. Another thought came to mind while I was going over these notes that Winston Churchill made a statement in a book entitled Churchill on Leadership. And he said, you've got to have qualified leaders in place before you begin building something. Before you begin building a government, you've got to have qualified leaders trained and in place before you can build on that. The Germans understood this between the two world wars. They were limited by the Treaty of Versailles to an army with a certain size. 
So they stayed within the limits, but they trained officers. They trained officers. And then when they decided to break the treaty, they started drafting men. But they had an officer corps that was trained and ready to go. You know, God is doing essentially the same thing. He's training an officer corps right now. He's calling individuals out of this world to train them, to develop the qualities that are going to be essential to be effective leaders in the coming kingdom of God. Again, as Mr. Ruddleston mentioned in the sermonette, do we take these things for granted? Do we take these things for granted to understand the purpose of human life? That we've been called to develop the very mind of Jesus Christ, to dwell, develop the character qualities of God and of Jesus Christ, that we can train and prepare to reign with Jesus Christ. Now, I didn't understand that growing up in other churches. Most of you didn't either. Yet we never want to take these things for granted. I remember listening to a radio broadcast when I first came into the church back in the in the 60s. And Paul Harvey was on radio in the morning and he'd talk about his news program and then later in the day he had a program entitled The Rest of the Story. And then he would go into some very interesting details of some of uh, the stories that was in the news in the morning. There was another gentleman by the name of Earl Nightingale and he usually had a little five-minute program where he talked about some, some interesting idea. Again, I was coming into the church reading books about the purpose of human life. And one of his programs, he said, if you have a purpose for your life, he says, you are in very rare company. He says, studies show that only about one or two people out of ten have a purpose for their life. You think about it. God has called you, opened your minds to, to show you what he's interested in, what he's preparing you for, what our purpose is on this earth. And Mr. Nightingale said, if you have a purpose for your life, you're in very rare company. When only one or two people out of ten really have a purpose for their life. I can remember back to some of the churches we attended when I was little and hearing people say, well, you know, I'm just praying that God would show me what my, my, my purpose is in life. And I thought, well, you know, that's, I guess that's good. <laughs> but once God opens your mind to realize there is an incredible purpose for human life. Again, we never want to take that for granted. We want to go for that and prepare for that. So let's look at some of these qualities that God is looking for. And human beings that study the subject of leadership, you know, we go into this in the leadership course that we've prepared and some of the other materials. What do you think is the most important quality that a leader has to have to be effective? What would you list as the most important quality that a person has to have, needs to have? And if they don't have it, it's going to destroy them sooner or later. That quality is character. That quality is character. I came across a book a number of years ago entitled American Generalship, and it was written by a historian who had interviewed about 100 admirals and generals in the United States Armed Forces. And he asked them the question, what's the most important quality a leader has to have? And their answer was pretty unanimously, character. Character. 
And if they don't have that, it's going to cost them probably everything that they've gained. And character is something that you can inculcate and teach and cultivate in your children. And if you have it, they will see it in you. And if you don't have it, <laughs> they will notice. They will notice. Okay, what is character? Let's just talk about it very briefly. Character has been defined, and I'm reading this out of uh, the leadership class. Our character is the sum total of our distinguishing mental and ethical traits. Not so much your aptitudes, but your mental and ethical traits. It's how we think and act, and it reveals who we are as individuals. Do you have character, or are you a character? <laughs> They connote two very different things. You say, well, he or she is a real character. It's not necessarily a compliment. <laughs> but if you say, you know, that person has character, that's probably the ultimate compliment you can give a person. The distinguishing mental and ethical traits, are you honest? Can your word be trusted? Do you choose what's right as opposed to kind of compromising things? Character is extremely important. Aristotle, a Greek philosopher, even understood this. He says, character is a habit selecting right from wrong. Now, we would probably differ sometimes what, how he would define right and wrong and how the Bible defines it. But I think he understood the gist of that. Character is the capacity to recognize, I think, and then choose what's right and choose not to go the wrong way. Now, this gets back to the internal and external lo locus of control I was talking about. Because sometimes when we're around people, we will kind of go with the flow because we don't want to stand up and, and be different. We don't want to stand out. But there are times if we have character, that we will have to stand up and make a different decision. It's a test of character. And we will be tested. God tries the hearts, it says, in numerous places in the Bible. God's watching to see what decisions that we will make. Because he's going to give us eternal life. That's his goal. That's what he wants to do. But he's not going to have a bunch of Satans on his hand. So we're going to be tried. We're going to be tested to see what decisions we will make, right or wrong. Character is one of the attributes or features that make up and distinguish an individual. The complex of mental and ethical traits marking and often individualizing a person. Some other quick definitions. Because other people have thought about these things. William Penn made the statement, right is right, even if everyone is against it. <laughs> it was a Quaker involved in establishing the state of Pennsylvania. Wrong is wrong, even if everybody's for it. He understood. Alexis de Tocqueville, we've got to use a Frenchman here. 
You know, he came to the United States trying to figure out, well, what's with these Americans? What makes them uh, you know, strong and great? What's their key to success? He said, America is great because America is good. If America ceases to be good, it will cease to be great. He traveled around. He said, the strength of America is to be found in the pulpits of their churches. Where ministers were preaching what they felt was right and denouncing what they felt was wrong. Now, they didn't, get always, they didn't always get it straight. But he recognized there was something different in the pulpits of America than what he had seen in Europe. He said, America is great because it's good. We were founded on the laws of God for the most part. And he says, if America ceases to be good, and that is what is happening today, you can't have presidents and preachers talking about homosexuality. It's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. The Bible says it's an abomination to God. It's not our right to run around and kill people and cut their heads off as would occur and will occur and is occur in some nations. But God is the judge, and he's going to take care of things. Dwight Eisenhower said, The supreme quality of leadership is unquestionable integrity. Unquestionable integrity. Helen Keller, a blind lady, made the statement, Character cannot be developed in ease and quiet. Think about that. Only through experience of trial and suffering can the soul be strengthened, vision cleared, ambition inspired, and success achieved. What she's saying is character doesn't come easy. It doesn't come easy. King Solomon said, Proverbs 23, verse 7, As a person thinks in his heart, so is he. If you watch your children develop, you'll see certain qualities. Some you'll want to reinforce, and some you will want to <laughs> revise and retool. I've used this example before. One fellow that I visited on numerous occasions in prison in a certain part of the country. After about 10 or 15 visits with this guy in several different prisons, I said, so-and-so, I said, why are you here? He just looked at me. He said, I'm here because I never learned to respect authority. He understood. But then he kept getting back in prison. <laughs> he understood, but he'd never learned the lesson. Is when I felt like punching somebody, I punched him. I felt like taking something, I took it. He said, I'm here because I never learned to respect authority. Now, some people resent authority. God uses authority. We're going to have to use authority. We're going to have to respect authority and to use that authority wisely. But that involves, these are what we're talking about here, are elements of character. Let's look at how important this is. We'll go through this relatively quickly. In Matthew chapter 5, 48. Matthew chapter 5 is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is kind of summarizing for his disciples the principles of Christianity. And these are things that don't change. These are things that don't change. These are stable. You build your life on these things, you're going to be building your life on a rock 
a solid foundation. In verse 48, he says, Therefore, speaking to his disciples, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. The word in the Greek is teleos, from which we get one of our words, telescope, where you focus on a goal. This is where you should be focused. Strive to become perfect. The word means complete. It means spiritually mature. Spiritually mature. Strive to become spiritually mature, full-grown, blameless. Where you're focused on, on the purpose of life. You're seeking first the kingdom of God. Build character. Build character. Develop the mind of God, the mind of Jesus Christ. Paul says in Philippians 4, about verse 5, I think it is, or is it 2, 5? It says, let this mind be in you that was in Jesus Christ. This is the goal. Develop this kind of character. Now, this is not new. This was exactly the same thing that God said to Abraham when God was working with Abraham to make him the father of the faithful. If you go back and you put the scriptures together, God began working with Abraham when he was 75 years old. Abraham died how old? 175. God worked with Abraham for 100 years. Now, some of you think you've really been through the ringer because you've been in the church for 45 years. <laughs> You're only halfway there. <laughs> God worked with Abraham for a hundred years, worked with Sarah. And notice what he said to Abraham. Whenever Abraham, I think in this case, was 90 and 9. So he'd been working with Abraham for 25 years. That's longer than many of you have been in the church. When Abraham, or Abram, was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. Same thing that Jesus said to his disciples. Walk before me and be blameless. The Hebrew word means perfect, spiritually mature. And these are things that young people can focus on. I want to be like Jesus Christ. I want to walk in his footsteps. I want to be a light and an example to the world. I want to do what God wants me to do. You know, Jesus was 12 years old when he sat down in the temple and asked questions of religious leaders that they couldn't really answer because he had a perspective that they did not have. You know, Samuel, as a young child, responded to God's invitation. You know, God will work with young people just as he will work with older people. But this is what God told Abraham or Abraham, walk before me, set this as a goal in your life. Be perfect, spiritually mature, complete, develop this kind of character. Now, we're not going to do this here, but I would encourage you start reading in Genesis 12 and read to about Genesis 26. Not right now, <laughs> but later. But notice what Abraham and Sarah went through. During this period of time, when God was molding and fashioning their character. In Genesis 12, Abraham was given certain physical promises. You know, if you leave your family, you leave this country, I'm going to bless you. Your kings are going to come out of you. It mentions a number of things like that. And Abraham left. 
Because, you know, physical promises. If I dangle a set of keys up here and I said, if you leave this room, I'll give you a Cadillac that's parked down in a parking lot. I doubt if any of you would stay. <laughs> I mean, it's just a physical promise. Abraham went for it. But God blessed him as a result of that. He got in the, or his servants got in kind of a tussle with the servants of Lot. And uh, Abraham, again, showing his character. He said, Lot, look, there's a big land out there. If you go this way, I'll go that way. If, I go, if, if you go that way, he said, I'll go this way. He said, let's not fight about this. Abraham had a big view. He had a sense of vision. It's interesting. God has chosen people and to work with people that have a sense of vision that we have to develop. This is how we think, how we should be thinking. Lot was taken captive. And Abraham didn't come back on Lot and say, well, you know, he took the best part. What looked like the best part, he got himself into trouble. Let him get himself out. No, he said, they've taken Lot and his family. Let's go get Lot. He's part of our family. Let's go get him. So he armed over 300 men. <laughs> they went and got him. But Abraham had a sense of concern. Again, an element of character. A sense of concern. You know, he and... Uh, Abraham and Sarah were promised a child. They were childless. And their response was, you know, Sarah said, I can't do this. You know, I'm beyond the age of conception. And she kind of laughed. And God said, well, when the child comes, name him Chuckles. (laughs) Name him Chuckles because you didn't trust me. You kind of laughed. You know, they had lessons to learn. They ran into a king by the name of Abimelech. Sarah apparently was a very beautiful woman. And Abraham knew the guy's going to put on, have eyes for my wife. So Sarah, you tell him you're my sister, not my wife. So he takes Sarah. And then God appeared to him. He said, Abimelech, you're a dead man. Because <laughs> you've taken a, woman's, a man's wife. He said, but I, I've not touched her. God says, I know. But then he approaches Abraham. He said, well, what's this deal? You're telling me this woman's your sister. And she told me she was, you were his, her brother. So they both lied. And they had to realize they had to repent of that. They had to change. See, God was working with their character, molding and fashioning aspects of character. They made mistakes, had to repent, had to change. Let's notice finally in Genesis 26, again, it reveals something about Abraham's character, and it's important in God's plan. This is the important thing that we need to notice. In Genesis 26, about verse, the first five verses here, God was renewing the promises to Isaac. And he explains that the reason the promises are being renewed to Isaac is because Abraham obeyed God. Verse 4, it says, And I will make your descendants, talking to Isaac, multiply as the stars of the heaven. I will give your descendants all these lands, and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Same promise he made to Abraham back in Genesis 12. 
Because Abraham obeyed my voice, kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Now, Abraham was called to become the father of the faithful. He's going to work with Jesus Christ in the coming kingdom of God, teaching the world the laws of God and the commandments of God. But God had to discern ahead of time what he would do, how he would regard God's commandments and his laws. It had to become an element of his character. That's the important thing. So God worked with Abraham for a hundred years and with Sarah, developing character. We just read where a number of people, even in the military, realize that character is the most important quality of leadership that a person can ever have. And you might look in the mirror when you go home tonight. Ask yourself, maybe even ask your spouse if you're brave. What's my character like? And will they respond, honey, you're a real character. <laughs> you know, we've got to be careful. <laughs> I could say something about people that ate too much at the feast and couldn't lead songs, but I won't say anything. <laughs> you know, what I found, if I eat too much at the feast, I get sick. Now, this year I got sick before I went to the feast, so I couldn't eat very much. <laughs> so I guess God in his mercy gives us opportunities to learn. And to suffer. <laughs> but God is interested in character. Let's note another example in Exodus chapter 18. <clears throat> you know, Moses was called by God to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. And uh, you know, he probably could have said to God, why did you give me these complaining Israelites? What a privilege and opportunity this is. This is tough stuff. <laughs> but Moses was being molded and fashioned and trained. In Exodus 18, he was trying to do everything himself. He hadn't learned to delegate, apparently. Apparently, he wanted to do everything right. But his father-in-law notices, Moses, you're going to run yourself into the ground. You can't keep doing it that way. Now, we tell jokes about mothers-in-law and fathers-in-law and how you know, we don't want to listen to them. But sometimes that's to our detriment. Because in many cases, they've lived longer than we have, and we could learn important lessons if we have ears to hear and eyes to see. Moses was told by his father-in-law, verse 21, Moreover, now notice the qualities and notice what these qualities concern. You shall select from all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place them over uh, the people to be rulers of thousands, hundreds, and so on. Able men, we'll talk about this a little bit more later, but they're people with ability. They're people with abilities. And you can recognize that in people as you work with them. You know, some people have an ability to lead songs. They have a sense of rhythm. But if somebody gets up here and they're kind of all over the place and whatever, you know, it's going to be very difficult to follow and kind of keep from laughing and <laughs> all these other things that go along. We've got to place people with certain abilities in certain positions and try not to put people in positions that don't have abilities in those areas or aptitudes in those areas. But he says select able people. There's nothing wrong with developing abilities. Some of us are born with certain abilities and others are born with others. But abilities are important. Men who fear God, they're not running around cowering. 
they fear God. They're not going to compromise the laws of God. They want to do things God's way. They're not going to steal. They're not going to kill. They're not going to commit adultery. They're not going to violate the commandments of God. You know, we've had leaders in this country and other places that don't seem to be worried about these things. They don't fear God. And they've got boyfriends and girlfriends and this and that and the other thing. They don't fear God. And eventually these things find them out. And in many cases destroys them. See, there are consequences. Men of truth. As one person said of a, of a president, leave the name out of it. He says, don't listen to his words, watch his actions. Don't listen to his words, you watch his actions. Because they're going to be different. See, leaders can't be effective if that's the situation. Hating covetousness. They're not trying to gather a lot of things for themselves. Money, cars, houses, jobs, responsibilities. You know, this might be a, a good quality or an interesting list of qualities to uh, uh, peruse before they appoint someone ahead of a major bank in this country. You know, they retire and they get $70 million worth of stock or something like that, and then they want a bonus on top of it. See, God says these things are extremely important. These are the qualities that God is looking for, for individuals who are going to be leaders in his kingdom. Acts chapter 6, verse 3. New Testament says pretty much the same thing. The early church was growing. The apostles realized we can't do everything. We've got to delegate some of the responsibilities in order for the people to be taken care of. <clears throat> so in verse 2, it says, Then the twelve summoned the multitudes of the disciples, and they said, it's not desirable that we should leave the word of God uh, and serve tables. There are physical needs that be, need to be taken care of. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among yourselves, in other words, identify seven men, and notice the qualities, of good reputation. Now, if you live around and work around people, you will generally develop a reputation. Don't trust that person. <laughs> or that person's really a hard worker. They really care for other people. So look for people, individuals, seven men that have good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit. God gives his spirit to those who repent, to those who change, to those who keep his laws. And then we have to develop that spirit, nourish that spirit, be led by that spirit. It becomes kind of obvious when somebody's being led by God's spirit or they're being led by the spirit of this world which is competitive, fun and games type of thing. A whole bunch of other qualities. Full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. Full of wisdom. When I first came into the church, I was reading through the book of Proverbs, and I thought, wow, wisdom is, is very important. So I prayed for wisdom, kind of like Solomon did. But, you know, I didn't wake up some morning... Wow, do I feel wise. <laughs> Went back and started reading Proverbs again. It says, seek after wisdom with all your might. Pray for it. Search it out. If you study the book of Proverbs, 
We've talked about this before. Read the book of Proverbs a couple times a year, a chapter a day in the morning, and then review it in the evening. And you begin to make connection. Boy, I saw something today or I did something today. The Bible says don't do it that way. And then I saw the results. In Proverbs 31, woman says she opens her mouth with wisdom. Didn't happen overnight. You know, these wisdom comes by by studying the Word of God. Proverbs 1 7. It's the foundation of wisdom, is the Word of God. And these are things we've got to internalize. You know, even before I came into the church, I was raised in a Christian home, basically. I went to college, and I saw a lot of things happening there. And one of the things I did do through college, not all the time, but on a, on a fairly regular basis, would read the book of Proverbs about once a year or so. And it kept me focused in a direction. And it kept me away from certain things that would have been a disaster to get involved with. But by staying focused on something that was solid, now, I didn't understand the rest of the Bible, but I could understand Proverbs because that, <laughs> that's pretty practical. It says, do, it says a wise person does it this way, and a foolish person will do it that way. Whereas Moses said, don't do this, do that. Proverbs says a wise person does it this way, and a foolish person will do it that way. But we can grow in wisdom. You can help your, <clears throat> your children to understand. We can grow in wisdom by studying the book of Proverbs and by following the examples of wise people. And not putting down other people, but noticing examples that go in the wrong direction. I remember talking with our boys when they were growing up. <clears throat> we had a family that lived a couple of houses away. And uh, I think both the husband and wife worked. And this one little boy who was a little bit younger than our boys, I noticed he was always alone. He'd come home, get off the bus. His mom and dad weren't there for the most part. I would come home from visiting maybe 11.30 at night, and this little boy and maybe one or two other kids were riding on the swings up in a park. 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock at night. And I remember telling the boys one time, he says, watch what's going to happen to this young man. What's going to happen? I said, you watch. He got in trouble. Various things happened. But his parents were not aware of what he was doing. And he was doing some things down in our place. And I said, gave his name. I said, you, you can't do that down here. Why not? I says, if you want to play basketball in our driveway, <laughs> you've got to do things this way. You can't do it that way. So he grew up without a lot of instruction. And he got in trouble. Because he wasn't being pointed in a wise direction, a right direction. Character is extremely important. Let's go on to a next quality. <clears throat> Again, you can go through numerous examples of character in the Bible. A second extremely important quality is competence. Competence. Being able to do things and being able to do things well. You know, in Exodus 18, it says, choose able men, individuals with ability. You know, Daniel and the young men that were selected <clears throat> by the king of Babylon, 
says they were they were intelligent young men. Now, how did the king know that? Well, you talk with them, uh, you give them your tests or whatever. You notice how they do things. Are they quick learners? Uh, they were used. Moses spent forty years being trained in Egypt. Grew up in a palace, probably had one of the best educations that a young man could have at that time. And then he spent 40 years herding sheep, maturing, <laughs> developing patience, probably a sense of vision, noticing where's the lions? I saw some tracks back there, and I've got sheep, and I know that lions like sheep, not to lay down beside them, but to eat them. <laughs> and so he had to be watching, he had to be alert. He had to develop a different set of skills. And then at age 80, God says, now you're ready. I'm ready to retire. <laughs> no, you're ready for the job I have for you now that's going to take every experience you've ever had and put it to use. Leadership abilities, thinking, planning, patience, uh, everything. But competence is extremely important. The Apostle Paul, a very competent person, apparently had to learn humility, but very competent. And we need to develop our competencies. Can you explain the Scriptures? What sort of example do you set? Are you capable of setting a decent example? The way you talk, the way you dress, the way you conduct yourself? You know, Paul talks about in... Uh, First uh, Timothy chapter four, verse twelve, thirteen, fourteen. It talks about you know you've got to be able to explain doctrine, but your example is extremely important. And this is one of the things that people notice about our people at the feast. In many cases, I remember one time we went to the feast with uh, out to dinner with several other families a number of years ago, and our kids were probably twelve, thirteen, fourteen, and we had. Two, three sets of adults sat at one table, and we had six kids, teenagers, sitting at another table, which is a prescription for disaster in most cases. But, you know, we were within arm's reach. <laughs> but they behaved themselves. In fact, the waiters came up later and said, wanted to congratulate you, people, on the conduct of your children. You know, they weren't turning glasses upside down and putting a napkin underneath and all these various things that happened, unscrewing the tops of salt shakers and so on. <laughs> I shouldn't give ideas like that. but <laughs> They weren't doing that. They weren't doing that. And we congratulated the kids later and said, thank you very much for the example that you set. But it was noticed because the waiters knew what a table of teenagers was normally like. And they saw something very different. See, it is possible for things to be different. But competence is extremely important, not just explaining the Scriptures, but our example. Our example in whatever we do and how we do it. A third quality, again, is extremely important. Some of these overlap. But a third quality is courage. A third quality is courage. You notice what God said to Joshua. I find this inspiring every time I read it. Joshua had some big shoes to fill when he took over after Moses. And I'm sure he felt, you know, 
I don't know whether I can do this or not. But God felt that he could. It says, after the death of Moses, verse 1, the servant of the Lord, which tells you a lot about Moses. He wasn't into himself. He was serving God and, and God's people. It came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant. So he was being trained by Moses. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise and go over the Jordan, and you and all this people to the land that I'm giving you. Now, down to verse 6. Be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Don't turn from it to the right hand or to the left. This was not given as a burden. He says that you may prosper wherever you go. You don't compromise my teachings. Don't change them. Stick to them. Verse 8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. And when you compare the Bible to the Koran, I've been doing this somewhat lately, totally different books. You know, while Islamic peoples may worship Allah, the Allah of the Koran is not the God of the Bible. You know, Allah talks about cutting people's heads off and cutting people's hands off. And uh, you can take a, a slave girl and marry her if she's nine years old. It's terrible stuff. It's a very different book. What made the Israelite people stand out differently from the peoples of this world is God gave them his laws, and his laws are a reflection of his mind. When Abraham was seeking a wife for Isaac, he sent his servant back to his own people. He didn't say, you go down and make a raid on that village over there, and you can take whoever you want, which Muslims do and have done. God said, no, you go back to my people. Don't get on the Internet and put your ad out there. <laughs> he said, you go back to my people, my people. And, you know, certain circumstances worked out. A proposal was made. And it's interesting how they handled it. The woman's father said, will you go with this man? He didn't say, you're chattel. You have to do whatever I tell you. He said, will you go with this man? There was a respect for women. It was very different from what was in society at that time. And she trusted God. She had seen how things had worked out. And she said, I will go. So there was a trust in God, doing things differently. This is why God said to Joshua, you keep your nose in the book. Use these things. Use these examples. Follow these instructions. And it will set you apart, Deuteronomy 4. It will set you apart from all the other nations on this earth. See, this is why we've got to be competent in the Scriptures. Because we've been called to become teachers in the coming kingdom of God to teach people God's way. So we've got to understand it, be convinced it's the best way to go, and be able to help people apply it. Verse 9, have I not commanded you be strong and of good courage? 
Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. And the Lord God will be with you wherever you go. And you're going to prosper. But you've got to be courageous. You Esther, beautiful young woman, was tapped by the king. I want that one. And she probably wondered, what's, what's going on? I don't know whether I want to go that way, but the king said, I want that one. And then there was a plot to get rid of the Jews. And then her uncle says, Esther, this may be why you were put in this position. And she didn't want to do something at first, but he said, you know, if they go, you go, because you're part of them. So she used her brain, and she prayed, and she looked to God, she made a decision. But here was a young woman who, through her courage and her wisdom, saved her people. Powerful stuff. Powerful stuff. You know, you and I have got to have courage. You know, to dress a certain way in our society today, as an example, you're going to have to put up with some flack. How come your skirts are so long? How come you don't let some more things show? And people will laugh and ridicule, whether you're a man or whether you're a woman. But God says we're to come out of this world. We're to set a different example. We're to recapture true values. Mr. Armstrong talked about that over and over and over. That was the theme of the college that was established in Pasadena, Big Sandy and Brickett Wood. To recapture true values. You know, to dress decently. Take your hat off when you go into a restaurant. <laughs> How many restaurants you go in today, the guys are sitting there with baseball caps on backwards or whatever. Or guys walking around with pants down so low, you wonder how on earth do they keep them up? A miracle. (laughs) And girls walk around. And younger girls too want to display everything that's there. No need for an imagination. But this is not how God called people to be an example. We've got to set an example to the world. I've used this example before that coming out of... um, Charleston, I think it was a year ago after the feast, uh, or at one time, I stopped at the Citadel, which is a military college of South Carolina. Because <laughs> I'd heard about it, but never been there. Got there about 3.30 in the afternoon, just as a tour was starting. And this young cadet, was a senior, neat haircut, wasn't hanging all over his ears, like some of these football players, you know, you're playing football, and a foot of hair sticking out from underneath their... <laughs> Helmet, and you wonder how on earth <laughs> do they play a game where people grab things? Uh, but here was a clean cut kid, he's not in the church of God, very respectful, gave about a 30 minute tour, answered questions very respectfully, walked into the chapel. Hello, chaplain. Uh, apparently, a good part of their student body must have, have to go to chapel services. But clean-cut, very respectful, very capable. I said, what have you learned here? He said, I've learned to multitask, do a couple of different things at one time. I said, are you going into the Army? He said, no, I'm going into business. But a sharp kid. You know, we should be raising our children, hopefully, to be sharp, to be examples in the way that they dress, and they're going to have to be courageous. And take some shots. The people will laugh and ridicule and make fun of them for doing various things. 
And we as adults need to set examples. We need to set examples so that young people can look up to those examples as opposed to, well, yeah, so-and-so is in the church. I wouldn't do what they're doing. But we want to strive to be examples. But it's going to take courage in today's societies to not get involved with sex, to not get involved with drugs, not get involved with smoking and other things. And for many young people, they associate smoking with being an adult and being really cool. It's stupid. I taught a course in anatomy physiology with a Russian fellow a number of years ago. And I was teaching a certain section about the, about the lungs. And I said, would it be appropriate to tell the kids that it would not be good to smoke? Now, I'm not going to use the adjectives that he used. <laughs> but this was in Southern California. He said, blank, blank, blank. I just tell them. He said, if they live here in Southern California, if they smoke, he said, they're missing some screws in their brain. He said, you can't breathe this smog and breathe smoke and expect to be a healthy person. The Bible says a person that commits adultery or fornication lacks understanding. They're not cool. They lack understanding. 1 Corinthians 6 talks about if you sin in that manner, you sin against your own body. Now, when you steal, you're not sinning against your body. But when you get, become sexually active, you potentially are exposing yourself to some really serious things that will affect your body. See, these aren't burdens. These are things to help us understand how to avoid problems. So courage is going to be extremely important to anybody that wants to follow the example of Jesus Christ. And when you started keeping the Sabbath or the Holy Days, in many cases, your family thought you were nuts. But if you've proven to yourself what's true, you start doing those things. And if you have a goal in mind of wanting to help the world understand God's way of life, then you can function on an internal locus of control. You're not influenced by the around. You've got a goal that you're shooting for. The fourth quality is compassion, <clears throat> where you really care for others. And sometimes we can get very self-righteous. Well, I keep the Sabbath and I keep the holy days and I'm going to be in the kingdom of God. And I don't really care what happens to anybody else. We're not going to be able to function as leaders effectively if that's how we approach things. You can check the scriptures that say that God is full of compassion. God has a plan that's going to encompass all human beings who ever lived. That's what the last great day is all about. People that have never heard the truth of God are going to be resurrected and have an opportunity to understand the truth of God. God hasn't predisposed or predetermined that a whole bunch of people are going to die. Scriptures say that it's God's will that no one should perish. But they're going to have to learn. They're going to have to grow. They're going to have to change. God cares. Go back and read Ezekiel 9.4 where Ezekiel is talking about what's coming on Jerusalem. Jerusalem is an example of what's going to happen to Israel. He told these angels, you go through the nation and you mark those who sigh and cry. 
for the abominations that are taking place. Do we care what's going to happen to our country? Do we care about the direction it's going? Are we concerned? Read Daniel chapter 9. Daniel said, God, I know that it's about time for our peoples to be restored to Jerusalem after being in captivity. But he said, we don't deserve it. We have turned our back on you. God, please forgive us. Please have mercy on us. Daniel was sighing and crying for what he saw happening in his nation and with God's people. He, was saying, he wasn't saying, you know, those people out there, God, they certainly deserve it. He said, God, these are your people. Please be merciful. Please forgive us. God is looking for people who care. Not that are focused on themselves, but who have compassion and concern. Jesus Christ in Matthew 23 wept over Jerusalem as he was nearing the end of his ministry. He says, oh, Jerusalem and Jerusalem, how many times would I have taken you under my wings as a mother hen would have taken her chicks and you would have nothing of me? He wasn't saying, God, see what they're doing over there? Give it to them. No, he was filled with compassion. He cared. And we have got to develop those qualities. Final thing is conversion. I think sometimes we assume, well, I'm in a church, so I'm converted. Go back and read Luke 22, about verse 32. Jesus told Peter, he says, when you are converted, <laughs> when you are converted, let's look at that quickly. <clears throat> You know, Peter denied him a couple of times. Uh, he mentions here that uh, to Peter that Satan had asked for you, and I have prayed for you. Verse 32, and, But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned, the new King James says, the, the older King James says, when you are converted, strengthen the brethren. Your Peter had to grow and really be converted. Remember, an evangelist one time said, I was baptized on such and such a date, and I was converted later. He was just acknowledging what happened in his life. He got baptized because other people were getting baptized, possibly. But he came to understand later what conversion was all about. You read Matthew chapter 5, the first part of that. Qualities of a converted mind. Qualities of a converted mind. And we'll conclude here very shortly. It says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, humble, teachable, people that regard themselves as insignificant. The word blessed means happy, to be envied. This is what God is looking for. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, who have concern for other people. They're not focused on themselves. For they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek. These are teachable people, patient people. Numbers 12 says Moses was meek above all people. He'd been a general in the, Rome, in the uh, Egyptian army. He was raised as a prince. But he was teachable. God could work with him. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. 
not for what they're going to do on Saturday night. They don't live for the weekends. They've got a bigger goal in mind. It's not wrong to have some fun and do some fun things. But their focus is on what's important. Blessed are the merciful. And the Muslims talk about all of the merciful. That tells people, cut people's heads off and gouge their eyes out and do all these other things. So that's a different God from the God of the Bible. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Now, these are elements of a converted mind. Isaiah 66, 2 says, this is the one that I look to. This is what God is looking for. And again, I've talked with people who say, I wish God would just show me what he wants, what he wants me to do. It's all in the book. Isaiah 66, 2, the latter part of the verse, but on this one will I look, on him or her who is poor, that means humble, teachable, of a contrite spirit, God, show me what I need to change and I'll change. That's what being a contrite spirit is. And one who trembles at my word, that they want to do things God's way. Now, these are qualities of character that God outlines in the Bible that are extremely important. And if we want to be in the kingdom of God, these are the qualities that we can focus on. You get down on your knees and ask God, God, show me where I need to change. Help me develop these qualities. Now, you could add more qualities here. We're only talking about five. But if you focus on these things and pray about these things and ask God to mold you and fashion you, and prepare you for what he would like you to do in the coming kingdom of God. You're going to be a different person next year as you go to the feast. If this becomes your focus, your internal locus of control, <laughs> what guides you for the next 12 months? You don't have to look at this period of time. Well, I'm home from the feast and now I've got this let down and I don't know what to do. God has given us plenty to do. He's given us some pretty clear instructions. Let's be thankful for that and thankful for the incredible opportunity that God has given to us to understand the purpose of human life so that we can use the time that we have between now and the feast to prepare to become more like Jesus Christ.